All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. Now, please, I want a believing amen. If you believe, you give me an amen. Amen. All right, that's more of a believing amen. Praise the Lord. All right, let's open our Bibles quickly. Let's take a declaration of God's glory. Again, today, let's start from, let's read Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a nice one to remind ourselves or to command the heavens and the earth to recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you are there, give me an amen. Amen. If you are not there yet, say, please wait for me. All right, are we there? Yes. Please just share with somebody and then um, I just want all of us to read together with, the, with, the, with one voice. All right, we are reading from verse 1 to verse 12. There are 12 verses in that uh, psalm. 1 to let's go. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cause from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Eight, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Amen. Honestly, reading this is refreshing, you know. I don't know about you. You should take time out to read it. Before, after a while, the things will just stick in your head. There's one we read a lot in my house. That's Jeremiah chapter 10. I didn't even know that I virtually memorized it. I didn't try they said the other wanted to read. I couldn't get my Bible open on time. And I was just following. Yeah, because, you know, we are ready so many times, literally scores of times, you know. It's so refreshing. And it's an assignment God has given us to fill the airwaves with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. We must do that. Let's fill the airwaves. Let's fill the atmosphere with the knowledge of the glory of God, with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as the water covers the sea. That is what we do is lend our voices and declare the things that the Lord has said. All right. I'm something there when we're reading this, something struck me and we've been teaching along the line, but I did not even see it here like that until now we read in verse eight, but we're going to do, explain that in a moment. But before we take our seats, let's take our declaration of understanding. Are we ready for that? Yes, sir. All right. to let's go. Now I declare. And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. 
In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. We have work to do. Our school of prayer. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Just think this is so important because really, I never really planned for this school of prayer. I just started, well, there's a reason I was praying one day and the Holy Spirit just dropped it in my heart and I knew he wanted us to do it. But I didn't know we have to do so much of it, all right? And um, as we are teaching, I realized that um, the Holy Spirit made us do that because it's very important, you know? And I look back, I say that Ken Hagen actually used to do prayer seminars and did a lot of it. I have a lot of his messages on prayer, you know, teaching. In fact, during his seminars, in the evenings, they do the Holy Ghost meeting and normal teachings. During the day, it's purely prayer seminar, all right? Because it's so important. It's so important. It's so important. Let's not forget it. Please, learn how to pray. What did I say? It's an important assignment you must give yourself. Learn how to pray. Well, I think I can recommend what we have been doing here for some time. For years now, we have been doing a school of prayer. On the average, once a week. I mean, close to that. A few Tuesdays we don't. December we don't at all. But we have a lot. We literally have in our website hundreds of messages. We have things like how to pray for a nation. How to pray in the time of a plague. We have how to bless your children. You understand? Okay? The laws of confessions. They are different. That is... The series alone, there are scores and scores of series. Total number of messages there are literally in hundreds. I recommend it to anybody. Just go and settle down and listen to them. Let's listen to them. Learning how to pray is important. The disciples came to Jesus. They said, teach us how to pray. You will hear that Jesus went and prayed all night. To raise Lazarus, he went into prayer. He says there are certain kinds of spirits that you have to drive out by prayer. He explained. Prayer is so important. I said it again. I said it before. Let me say it again. Anyone telling you that we have prayed enough is satanically speaking. He's talking for Satan. Praying does not mean you are not working. They give the impression that um, uh, um, you go and walk. You stop praying. It's not true. While you are walking, you are praying. I hope you're getting my point. You can never stop praying. While the work is going on, you pray. Before you go to sleep, you pray. When you rise up first thing in the morning, you pray. You want to write an exam, you pray. You want to eat, very importantly. Don't let anything enter your mouth without a word of thanksgiving. Even when you want to pop um, a wrap of sweet, just unwrap your uh, a candy, your sweet, your chocolate, anything. before you turn to your mouth, say a word of prayer. Prayer doesn't have to be long, you know, Narrative can just be two words, three words. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But it has to be a conscious thing. I do that with water, maybe not 100% of the time, but a lot. There are times I take a glass of water. I actually sometimes just shut my eyes, whisper for a few seconds, Father, I thank you for this glass of water in Jesus' name. And then I drink. It's important. If you are taking medicine, for those who take medicine, pray. If you are taking, going to take a vaccine, <laughs> pray. It's important. Give the Lord thanks. It's so crucial we learn to do that. Prayer has different types. Thanksgiving is, I think it should be, I want to say this, all right? I think it's the most important form of prayer. Yes, I, I, I hesitated because I quickly did a small scanning in my mind. Then I came to the conclusion, Thanksgiving is the most important type of prayer. Why? Go and check it. It features everywhere. 
Jesus wants to eat. He never said, bless this food, do Lord, for Christ's sake. Did you ever hear him say that? He never asked the Lord to bless the food. His father, I what? Thank you. When he's teaching us to pray, with prayer, with uh, a prayer petition, with what? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Do you follow my point? Paul added it to it. When he wrote to Timothy that he should pray for kings, he said, pray with thanksgiving. If you see Paul begin, be, begin to pray in any of the letters, I thank my God. It's always there. So that's why I say it again. Thanksgiving is the most important form of prayer. It's a singular most important form of prayer. Thanksgiving. It goes with every kind of prayer. You want to come into intercession, you start with thanksgiving. You see Paul, he wants to pray for the, uh, the church in um, uh, Corinth. He wants to pray for the church in Rome. He wants to pray for the, um, the church in um, uh, Philippi. Everything is, I thank my God. It's always, you know, thanksgiving. It starts everything with thanksgiving. Jesus looked and said, Father, I thank you because you have not revealed these things, you know, to big men, but to babes. Thanksgiving. When he wanted to multiply food for thousands, the Bible says he gave thanks. I did not command the bread to multiply. I don't know that you are getting my point. <laughs> and when he wanted to talk about it later, he said that was when he multiplied food after he had given thanks. What does that tell you? That thanksgiving was crucial to the multiplication. Think about it. Did you hear him say, now this bread, as the son of God, I begin to speak to you. As I break the first one, you shall multiply back. <clears throat> oh, this bread will not finish. I have thousands to feed. You will not embarrass me. They have to know. Did you hear all that talk? The Bible says he gave thanks and then broke the bread. I think it's a habit you should form. You get the alert. His money is not as big as you have loved. As soon as he hit your phone, they pay the salary. They paid for the job he did. What's the first thing you should do? Father, I give thanks. Thank you for this money that you have sent to me at this point to meet my needs, to make me able to give. You just say it like that simply. Ah, it's so important. You know, life is spiritual though. Faith is a tangible spiritual currency. I hope you're getting my point. Now, there's a reason I'm saying that. If you do the opposite, which you often do, it kills things. That is, the boy comes, five loaves, two fish, and then Philip says, what is this amongst many? What I was supposed to do in today's Nigeria? How many people can eat five loaves of bread? Do you know how many children are in the house? This money cannot be enough. Do you know the cost of things? Have you been to the market? Five loaves. Philip, is this supposed to be a joke? How many pieces of fish there? This is tilapia, not even shark. <laughs> you know, you have two sharks, it's a different matter. <laughs> when they bring you two tilapias, you look at the, excuse me. Listen, I know the size of my stomach. You know what I've been doing so far? It's called murmuring. It's called grumbling. Every murmurer faces facts. So. Every murmurer faces facts. They talk the truth. 
So the fact that you, are, you know what you are saying does not mean you are not a murmurer. I don't know whether you get my point. But it just struck me that, listen, what did Jesus do? He didn't comment on the size of the fish. He did not comment on the size of the, the number of the loaves of bread. All he did was what? Give thanks. And then he began to spend the money. Did you catch what I said there? He began to spend the money after he had given thanks. And God ensured that the money did not finish until the next salary came. Please go and decode that. You know, it's one thing that God has helped me with in recent times. When it comes to money matters. I said, do the one that is in front first. That the money can reach. I hope you're getting my point. For example, if you come and say, maybe in the house. They say, we need to buy something. I say, how much is it? They say, maybe, as an example, say 150,000 naira. And I check what is available is 60,000 naira. I know we're not supposed to buy that now with that money. We may buy it too, but not with that 60K. But at the same time, they say there's some, another need that's in the house. And it's 45,000 naira. Are you getting my point? I say, but this 150,000 naira one is more important than this. I say, but this one has been provided for. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So we'll go simply... And pay for the one that is for the first. But when you do like that, the money will not be enough for the other one. It is not even enough right now. Let's me- no, that's one way by which you learn to spend money. What is the one God has supplied now? It's one of 45,000. Eh? Pay now. But the one for 150, did the girl fall asleep? Didn't you read your Bible? He never sleeps. He's neither sleeps nor slumber sleep. He's not even dozing. So I'll give you the 45,000. Let's sort, sort this one. And that's what happens. Some people will keep money for their children's future. Right now, they are not even eating well. The children's future, their trousers, you have not changed the trousers of those children. You are giving away for their future. Those children right now, they've never gone out one day. You bought them a bowl of ice cream. Say, don't eat your future now. Ice cream is not their future. Relax. <laughs> the ice cream is not their future. But, uh, children should enjoy life small now. Carry them to go and jump Jangilova. You know what they call Jangilova? <laughs> it's true now. He's saving everything for their future. Jesus gave thanks and began to spend as the Lord was bringing the need. Next, he breaks the bread. He gives to Peter. Peter takes it away. John comes. He breaks for John. Andrew comes. He breaks for Andrew. Philip comes. You know, he just kept on breaking for each person. Oh, yeah, come now. Be taking your own. But they never finished until literally had fed thousands. What was the first thing he did? He gave thanks. It's a habit to Muslim. You know Jesus never used to have plenty of money. I hope you get my point. People have tried to say before that, look, if he has so much money, he had the treasurer. If that's how much money he had, why was he going to fish? You think he was a showman? He never lacked. That one's for sure. That fishing thing tells us he never lacked. God always provided for him. God always provided. He never lacked. But he was not such a rich man. He said, look, he said, but he had the treasurer who was kind of the money on him and following him about. How much money could you carry about? I don't know whether you're getting my point. It wasn't that. So don't, let's not give the impression that, you know, he were, Dan Gote was in his ministry. Do you, <laughs> no. But people kept on supplying. There were this group of people that kept on supplying their needs. They would come, Peter. How's it going? Where are you guys traveling to next? So and so and so. Uh, how many donkeys will be needed? Uh, apart from the usual 70 of us, um, these boys can trek, don't worry. And I think about just 
provide two extra donkeys for the Lord. And as me, Peter, the first pope, I need another donkey. <laughs> so they will arrange. So, okay, so meet us when we come back to Bethesda to take away the donkeys. Is it Jesus wanted to be caring for donkeys? When they will come back, they will retrieve the donkeys. Where are you going to next? Get a boat. Then get a boat. I'm convinced now Jesus didn't have to. He, in fact, I don't have any doubt. He didn't worry himself about, in his head about those things. That was the business of Peter, James, John, Andrew, all those other people. Because I've realized if you have too many things in your head, your anointing can't flow. Even if your name is Jesus Christ. Where do, where do you think Peter and Cole learned it from? That, um, yes, we can't serve tables. You have to get, where do you think they learned it from? Because, you see, everything is a responsibility. Don't put too much responsibilities on my head. The one I have right now, let me be able to fulfill it. I'm going to say something here. Jesus gave thanks all the time, and he never lacked. You don't have to have a lot of money in front of you to show that you are rich. You don't have to have plenty to be comfortable. No. What the Lord does, what kills us, now talking about spiritual things, what kills us actually is that lack of prayer. You know, I said Thanksgiving is most important. All right? We don't pray effectively. And I'm talking about Thanksgiving. We do not spend enough time giving thanks. And sometimes we think Thanksgiving is a, it's a trick. Did you hear what I said? It's a technique. If you want to get more fish, go and thank God. Say, what is the trick now? It's the Thanksgiving key. So give me the key for Thanksgiving. The car still doesn't start. Do you know why? You are not giving thanks. You are using a key. I don't know whether I get my point. You are not truly grateful from your heart. You are just using a key to get something else. So the Lord gives you, maybe you're expecting that 150,000. The Lord now sends 60. Then I say, if you want the 150 to be complete, what do you do? You give thanks. So now I say, Father, we thank you for 150. You know what? For 60,000. In fact, we are receiving the 150 in our head. You know what God is hearing? Your mouth is saying, Lord, we thank you for 60,000. But in heaven, what they are hearing is that so, you did not hear me the first time that it was 150. That you spent, sent only 60. Eh? Should they say the key to get the balance <laughs> is to say thank you. We will say the thank you. I will be watching out for the balance. About God, this thank you is on credit. You have to pay. And the payment is the balance 90,000 naira. So many of our thanksgivings are not giving any thanks to God. They are keys. They are tricks. God looks at the heart. It's not just the words that we speak, he hears. The meditations must be of the heart. I hope you're getting my point. What is real thanksgiving? Real gratitude. Say, Lord, I asked for 150, you brought 60. Thank you. Because in your wisdom, you have realized. Lord, you have expressed your wisdom. This 60, we either do the work of 150, or we don't need to do it at all. Why? Because the Lord is wise. We just give him thanks. And it's not play. We really mean it. Like when I thank God for water, I'm not trying to bribe him so he can give me a tank. I hope you're getting my point. When I tell him thank you for that glass of water, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful. I've not experienced too much thirst in my life, but I was in boarding house in secondary school. 
And I remember there will be times, you know, because of poor management, you'll be thirsty, you'll be looking for water. Yeah, seriously. But it wasn't too much, you know, that's the only time I really had this issue with thirst in life. You know, for a short period, we were in school before our new principal came and it turned things around, got reservoirs and all of that, make sure we had water. But then I used to read stories of people that are looking for water they can't find to drink. I know the place where water is scarce the most is in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. You've never heard of people who got lost in the middle of the ocean? They die of thirst in the middle of the ocean. Because ocean water is not drinkable. It's so salty. When you drink it, you start vomiting. In fact, salt water is used to induce vomiting when people swallow something poisonous. You pour water into salt. Make sure it's plenty. Give the person to drink. Once he hits his stomach, oh, starts throwing up. So the earth may have 75% of its surface area full of water. It doesn't guarantee you water to drink. It doesn't. And I've realized that over time, from my understanding, from studying, from experience, I've put everything together. If I get a glass of water, it's a gift of God. It's not a joke. We're not trying to be religious. We really mean, Father, thank you. That is a mouth to drink. It's another story. You think the mouth just works. And you open your mouth, you see mouth there. Just thank the Lord. The mouth does not always work. Maybe you should follow me to work one day. Let me come and show you people with missing mouth. You think it's a joke? And some they cut this one, cut it, says you can only feed him through a tube. Oh. We used to see strange things when we were hospital, when we were medical student. I don't see much of it these days. People want to eat. Everybody's eating. They scream the person in. They remove the cloth and pour the food into the stomach and cap the tube back. Oh, yes. I remember one little boy when we were in school. His own was so, you know, it was, was pathetic. Why? Because of how it happened. He asked his mother for water. So the mother, absent-mindedly, she used to make soap and stuff, got him a, a glass of caustic soda. Something the boy said, don't drink. Little boy. Because he had been troubling the mother for water. The mother said, take. He said, I don't want to drink again. The mother said, you are not serious. After he made me leave everything, hey, come on, drink that water. Threaten the boy. The boy drank the water and burnt his whole esophagus. The mother was doing an opposing pediatric surgery. It was on the wall throughout the time we were there. He had, got to, he had recovered physically, but his throat was still not working. So food had to be poured straight into his stomach through a tube. And he couldn't even breathe normally. He had to breathe through a hole in his throat. <laughs> so if your mouth is working, don't just assume. <laughs> See, thank God, say, Lord, I swallowed this morning. I swallowed this morning. And since you sat here and swallowing, you know, spit flows into your mouth constantly. You have to swallow periodically. That's the way it works. We give God thanks for all of these things. Thanksgiving is such a crucial part of prayer. I think it's the most important form of prayer. Just thinking about the whole scriptures. Go and read Psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. You see it all over the place. It's so important. Thanksgiving, eh? Oh, my Father. I think it's the most important form of prayer. And what the world does is try to take away our ability to give thanks. They will tell you, first of all, that you are alive by chance. You know, yesterday I was in, okay, today is what? Tuesday. I was on Sunday. 
we're doing some work in my house, just changing some electrical fittings, Shion, um, Benga, and I. So at the point in time, you know, I, I placed funny tricks on the I climbed the particular thing. So let me even see what jumping down would be like. I've not jumped down in a long time. So, <laughs> so I jumped down from a high table. And you know, it's funny. I began to do small physics calculation. So I, I hit the ground, all right? It's in my bedroom, all right? And so, of course, when you land, there's what we call, well, there's a principle. Your, your, when you hit the ground like that, your ankle, as a rule, has to be off the ground. You land on the balls of your toes, all right? Just at the back. Why your ankles must be off the ground? If it's not off the ground, you will break your back. There's a, yes, it is. So what the, what the ankle does is it gives you a spring. So that spring effect allows you to go down slowly. Thereby, I not started doing calculation in my head. That if I hit the ground, I'm displaced only by one millimeter or by 10 millimeters, I will have removed a 90% of the force. And I was just trying to explain why my back couldn't break, you know. And I told myself, and somebody says, there's no God. In my mind, God, please punish the person. <laughs> because I just thought about it. That all these spring effects that we learned later on in physics, he's already there in the body. And the spring in your legs, all right? They are specially designed. They are, they are living springs. When you go down like that, right from your, you know, your waist, you know, your buttock muscles, your thigh muscles, this one, all of them coordinate to give you a simple landing. Zoom. And then you bounce slightly. So I sat down there and I was doing calculations. Don't mind me. I was alone in the room. I was just doing those calculations. I said, somebody now wants to tell me there's no God. Just say you don't know what the God is like. But to tell me all of this came by chance, I think, really, God should send you to hellfire. Really, he should. But he's more merciful than me. So he will give you a chance to change your mind. You know, he will still send you to hellfire. It's not as if he will not to. But he will keep on warning you. And then if, if you don't agree, your children will all become transgender. Yeah, that's what he does. When they don't give thanks, he gives them over to your reprobate mind. Lack of thanksgiving is why people go mental. The more people don't give thanks in the society, the more sexual perverse you find in the place. What I've told you is a fact. When people don't know how to give the law of thanks in the society, the people there will go mad. Criminals will fill the place. People who are heartless, serial killers, murderers, rapists, they will fill the whole place because of lack of thanksgiving. And what Satan tries to do is to teach us lack of thanksgiving. In our country of today, you know, I've been speaking a lot about Nigerian issues over the last uh, few months, of course, for, both for obvious reasons and then for spiritual reasons, that is, is a, is a spirit in, the, in man, okay? One of the major things that God is doing is to teach people not to thank God. Yes, you know, lack of thanksgiving is subtle. You won't know when you start it. The other day, one of my classmates said something, and I took another one behind, private chat. I said, people don't know. They are not grateful. Like when we're not kind, if you remember, I thought extensively on why Nigerians should settle down and give thanks to God for the federal government of Nigeria. Because one of my classmates said, the federal government should get out of you so that people can prosper. I laughed. I said, when they get out of the way, go and pay for university education. Whether you like it or not, God used, in fact, I was talking to somebody today, we had a relative that had to go to hospital, and the person was saying, so I was talking to one of my colleagues who said that, um, 
But I said, okay, do we go to the teaching hospital or stay in the private hospital? And I said, well, private hospital, this is the cost. And that's the particular procedure. He said, that would be 70,000 naira for that test. Just a small procedure test. So we charge 70,000 in the private place. He said, but if they go to UNTH, it's totally free. And he said, it's almost free. So I understood when he said almost. Now, it involves buying a special kind of needle. So maybe they'll tell the needle that I can be 7,000 or 8,000, go and buy. Then the doctor who would do it, would do it free of charge. So I was explaining to another person, I said, who was involved? I said, you know the truth? It's free there because the doctor is paid a salary by the federal government. So whether he does nothing at all, or he does 500 of it in a month, he gets the same salary. I said, but in the private hospital, each time the doctor shows up to do that test, that hospital has to pay him. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was just explaining, there are little, little things that God uses the federal government to do that we don't realize. I'll give you another example. In, a, in, in this our city, all right, we have two medical schools, all right? One is a federal one, and one is a state one. In the clinical side, half of the lecturers in the state one work for the federal government, so they work on a part-time basis. And what they are paid, if you see it, is, is, is small. It's really small. Like what the state pays them for coming. It's very small. I said, do you know why they can accept it? Because the federal government has given them their full pay. So to them, this is extra pay. Even though it is small, it is extra. I said, whether you realize it or not, they are the reason why SUIT is charging less than the cost of education. Because if they were to charge fully, if suddenly federal government released a new rule, Say none of our workers can work anywhere else. To get your own full-time workers, you, you won't know why it's, you, you girls come next day. VC will say, school fees, tuition has gone up by 75%. You won't, won't know why. Now, I'm just giving a few examples of things that we overlook. So we wake up every day. The only thing we know about federal government is that Inugu on the Express Road has not been good for the last 10 years. That's the only thing we think about. They've eaten the whole money. The only thing we think about is that Power is not constant. What are they doing with TCN? They should privatize TCN. Nonsense. 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 And suppose, why should they privatize TCN? What is the alternative? You cannot then quarrel. There's always reasons to be angry. There are always reasons to be ungrateful. But Thanksgiving is something you do deliberately with exercise. It's something you do deliberately with exercise. You will sit down and say, let me check for the things to thank God for. And there's one beautiful thing about being a believer. Even when, it, when every other thing now looks negative, even the negative ones, we can thank God for them. Why? All things work together for good. We take that scripture and use it to rub everything into thanksgiving. We roll it over everything, thanksgiving is produced. But every day, I gave the example of uh, my classmate that said that thing. I said, look at what Satan has done. Turn us to grumblers. We grumble about everything. If the, according to one guy that, that, that time, I used to see one particular website where I used to go to read news. The guy is a very funny human being. Everything you say is Obama's fault. <laughs> Obama was president. If the sun does not shine well enough, you see that, ah, New York is very cold uh, for this time of the year. It's rather cold. You, know, say, you just write, just one comment. It's Obama's fault. <laughs> That's the only comment they used to have. And they, people took such, they have such an attitude in now in the country. Anything that goes wrong, is it PC's fault? I saw that joke. I think the sun was too much. I think was it last year? There was a particular everywhere was hot. Somebody said, This 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 government, what are you doing about it? <laughs> what 
What are you doing about the weather? So we wake up, we are taught to constantly grumble. And let me remind us of something we said here before. You don't have to mention God's name to be grumbling against him. You don't have to mention his name for him to say you are grumbling against him. You don't have to. Israel did not grumble against God. They did not mention God's name once in their grumblings. But God took it personal. They grumbled against Moses. And it was said to be against God. Hey Moses, you want us to die here? Ha! Huh. Why did you bring us out? Alright, you checked that there were no graves in Egypt, right? You think it would be cheaper to bury us in the wilderness? What about our little ones? They are going to die. They are going to die of thirst. They are going to die of hunger. Mose, Mose. What were you thinking? And for that, God destroyed everybody. I said earlier, grumblers are facing facts. Grumblers will tell you, at this my age, in America, my friends have houses, they have cars. Maybe they are telling the truth. Grumblers will explain to you, with the current devaluation of the Naira and the attendant inflation, and the scarcity of food because of headsman crisis and banditry in North Central and Northwest and Northeastern zones of Nigeria, production of rice and beans and groundnuts have gone down. Prices have gone up. So the salary alert comes. This money cannot even reach anything again. Grumblers always face facts. They do. They give it to you the way it is. They are not religious. You understand my point? They can separate between faith and real life. They know when it is church and when we are facing what's going on in the society. Aboki FX is in their mind. You know what they call Aboki FX? There's a website where you can check the exchange rate anytime. They, they have their own Wi-Fi connection from their brain straight to that website. Of course, their money is in cryptocurrency. <laughs> I mustn't forget to add that one to it. The point I'm making is that they face facts all the time. They know everything that is going on. They don't tell any lies as far as, as far as real life is concerned. But God still calls them grumblers all the same, and they will still be destroyed. Because perception is based upon what's inside your heart. These facts you are facing, you don't just look like they say we don't see with our eyes. Oh. We see through our eyes. We don't see with our eyes. How do we see? Through our eyes. We grumble about things. Not because there's no, nothing to thank God for, but because we have a habit of grumbling. That's all. Like they said, grumblers will always find the problem for every solution. Have you heard that before? Yes. They always have a problem for every solution. Let me turn it around. People with thanksgiving... God will provide the solution for every problem. Yeah, people who are natural tankers. Is that a word good? Those who are thanksgivers and who are tankers. God will always find for them a solution to every problem. If he has to rain manna from heaven, he will. If he has to cause the rock to bring out water, he will. I hope you are getting my point. If he has to cause them to go and sleep, they wake up in the morning and the valley will be full of water. He will. Whatever he has to do, if he has to tell them, go and fish, 
cast your net on the other side. Or take a hook and, you know, line. Go. The first fish you catch, open the mouth. You will find enough for me and for you. Like Jesus said to Peter, he will. God will always find a solution for the problems in the life of a person full of thanksgiving. Remember, I'm not teaching thanksgiving as a trick. Not as a key. But as a real attitude of the heart that appreciates God and understands that God actually is watching over him, watching over her. That understands that what I see physically is not the reflection of what God really is doing in my life. I may be in prison. It may be my pathway to God's assignment in the house of Pharaoh. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. The Lord is good. So let's learn to pray. I don't know. I just went into that. I believe the Lord wanted us to do, to do that. Let's learn to pray all the time. It's a habit Christians must learn. Prayer. And pray about everything. Pray about what? You know, everything. You know, I say everything. Everything. You know, I mean everything. Everything. No matter how mundane it looks. Or no matter how difficult and profound it is. I hope you're getting my point. Your car stops. All of a sudden, maybe you are traveling. You have a flat tire. You open your boot to bring out the spare tire. That's when you remember that the spare tire actually spoils. Has it happened to you before? Yes. As you bring out, you just say, ah, what's going on? Sometimes nothing went wrong with the the spare tire. But you have not used it in such a long time. It has been leaking slowly. Slowly. Then this time when I stop inside the bush, no tire. No spare, you know what I mean? And this one that went down, went down. We know their tires are go down, and you know they can't rise again. Dust will probably not go down. <laughs> the one that went down, went down like that. It's shredded. And then you look to your left. Nowhere, not, nothing. No settlement. The, loan is, the road is not busy. People of God, bow your heads and do what? Pray. Just pray. Say, Lord, I thank you for this car. Thank you for my flat tire. Thank you for the spare that's also flat. Lord, there's nobody here. I can't see any human being. Now, Lord, I want to ask you for rescue. I need to move out of here. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do? Somebody said, start declaring that somebody is coming. Don't declare. Personally, my own understanding, they don't need to declare anything. So nobody may be coming. You may, you may even have to sleep there. I'm not teaching you a trick. What I do, my own experience is this. Okay, Lord, what do I do next? I check in my heart. Do I start trekking? I look left, look right. Say, no, it's not a trekkable distance. So, Lord, should I start reading? If there's nothing to do, I bring out the book and <laughs> sit down there and start reading. Then when I hear a vehicle passing, what's the common sense thing to do? Lock the person down. Just start doing the things that are simple and natural. Until God brings something. If you, Don't do crazy things unless the Holy Spirit says crazy. You know, there are things the Holy, maybe you dreamt yesterday, and the Holy Spirit said, at that point in time, you jumped over an Iroko tree. Are you not found an Iroko tree nearby? You say, oh, the Lord must want me to jump out. Because, you know, you dreamt two nights before that your car stopped in the bush, and then you jumped over an Iroko tree. You now find an Iroko tree when your car stopped in the bush. What do you do? You go and jump over the Iroko tree. 
Otherwise, don't just get up and say, eh, eh, what do you call it? Eh, I'm going to call fire down from heaven to bring a new tire. It's not necessary. Yeah, it, trust me, it won't even work. Okay? Don't do anything crazy. The Lord knows where you are. And he has different methods of getting you out. You may decide that, look, I'm not moving this car with a tire. The one, one towing vehicle will come. And the man will say, ah, okay, can I help you? He say, I need it. I don't have tire. Can I tow you to the next town? I have all the towing things. Have you not been delivered? I told you the story before of a, my, a friend of mine that a car stopped like that. He had a spare, but he didn't have energy. He had a spare tire, but he didn't have energy to change the tire. He was doing 100 days fast. The Lord is very merciful. You know what the Lord said? Two angels to change his tire for him. Thank God if not now. If it's now, he will not agree for those two angels because they were headsmen. Two literal Fulani headsmen came out of the bush and spoke good English to him. And said, sir, looks like there's a problem. He said, yes. So they told him to please sit down. So he sat in the car. They didn't ask him any question. They opened his boot, brought out his spare, brought out the jack, jacked up the car, changed the tire, put the new one, the spare inside, put the bag on the boot, covered it, and told him they were done. Two headsmen. He said, he didn't know where they came from. So after I told them thank you to drive off, he looked for them, he didn't see them again. He said to me, bank, he said, you've been to the north? I said, yes. He said, you know how flat the place can be? Where could they have disappeared to? He looked for the direction they came. The bush is a bit, not so heavy, but he didn't see them. So he didn't think anything of it. But when he was leaving, he dashed them. He said he had this new note with him. So he gave them one of them. I think he had two. I can't remember the exact sum. I think he said 100 naira of those days. So he gave them 100 naira. So they took it. One of them took it, and he drove off. Then he got to Kano, where he was going, and his 100 naira was right there on his seat beside him. The day he was telling me the story here, he said, anytime I tell the story, say, Banky, I say, get goose pimples. Listen, even if, if you if, don't go to Libya, you want to go to Lampedusa, but even if you get stranded in Mali, <laughs> maybe that's why your spirit came back to you, you know, like a prodigal son. Pray and say, Lord, please deliver me in this desert. I'm telling you, you know, there are people have been stranded. Please, if you want to die, die gently. Don't go and get lost in the desert and die of thirst. It's a, it's a horrible way to die. No, Apostle. It's a horrible way to die. Just dry off slowly. Over like four days. At night, you will freeze. During the day, you will boil. Oh, now so desert be. It's extremely... Anyway, let, let me not start that one. I don't know where people are going. They want to go to this Europe by force. It's Europe heaven. I hope you know Europe is closer to hellfire than Africa. So what's all of this noise that people are making? They must go to this Europe. You're not going to die in the... If, if you know the number that die in the desert, there's one man ahead of his own mission in life is to be burying dead people that he finds on the road. I, I don't know which country is a Muslim. One of these Muslim countries is a Muslim. You just wake up in the morning, just go to the shore. You just be picking corpses that wash ashore. Those who try to cross the Mediterranean in funny boats and they drown. So when their corpses come, he'll pick the corpses. They look like Muslims. He will give them Islamic rights and bury them. I'm telling you. Anyway, just in case 
you are listening to this and your, your data is still working, you're in the desert. <laughs> Maybe you are following us. Please pray to God. We'll send you back to... We'll drop you in Meduguri. You're going to trek. Trek to Kano from there. How far is Meduguri from Kano? It's very far. Like up to two days trek. Three days trek. No, let the guy come and trek in civilization. It's good. What are you doing in the desert? At least we're taking you from the desert. Is that not so? The point I'm making is that whatever it is, pray. What did I say? Pray. Pray by everything. Pray by everything. Every single thing. Your roof is leaking. Pray. One brother gave a testimony here. A few, was it last year? He decided to pray by his leaking roof. Then one day he realized the roof was no longer leaking. That's when he sent us a meal with the testimony. He said, he doesn't even know what happened. Whether the landlord decided to repair while he was gone to work, he doesn't know. All he knows that one day he realized that this roof is no longer leaking. Whether the Lord sent an angel or the Lord fixes roofs in different ways. Oh, yes, he does. He said, maybe the landlord decided to go and fix it while he was on that He doesn't know. All he knows is that the roof stopped leaking. Prayer must be our habit. Prayer must be our habit. And I said earlier that the most important form of prayer is what? The one of thanksgiving. If you give thanks... Well, let me say like David, at least seven times a day. But I don't expect you to count. Just find an opportunity. I, ch- I chose seven deliberately. Find an opportunity to give thanks. Every hour. If you don't find any opportunity, anything to do, just say, Lord, I thank you. For what? For everything. Lord, I thank you for everything. Please, let's go over it again. You must never be a grumbler. Never. Never. Ever. Be a grumbler. You must never be a grumbler. You must never. Please let me preach to somebody. Catch somebody. Tell the person you must never be a grumbler. We must never. No matter what it is. No matter. No matter what it is. First thing you do in your life is to give thanks. You must give thanks, and it must be with a grateful heart, not with a a what a, a trickish heart. You know what I mean. You know, it must not be with a manipulative heart. The thanksgiving must be what? With a grateful heart. It must be gratitude. Gratitude. Bishop Bodipo said something those days. It used to excite me when I, when I heard from him. He said, well, no, no matter what I have lost, the Lord is the reason why I did not lose everything. I, I hope you get my point. He said, God said to him, no matter what you have lost, I'm the reason you did not lose everything. That you are still there to say thank you. It means you didn't lose everything. If Job could be grateful to God, who are you? I hope you're getting my point. Of course. He said one day he and his wife traveled abroad. Or was it him alone? And on returning to Nigeria, he found his luggage was missing. No, no, it wasn't that one. He said they stole something, I think from his house or somewhere. I know the Thanksgiving. He said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not a thief. I'm the one something is being stolen from. Because <laughs> after I paid my tithe, Lord, why did you not rebook the devourer? Because I didn't see the tithe. Uh, your pastor took it. He didn't offer it as a whole burnt offering. 
say, God, but after I paid my tithe, why am I still broke? I thought you said you rebuked the devourer. And the Lord is looking like, mm, when did I say so? Are you not a Christian and say yes? Alright, so whatever Jesus cannot make me do for you, why will I not do it because of your money? Remember your friend, after I gave God such an amount of money, why should I still fall sick? It's common sense. It doesn't work. That principle you used, <laughs> it doesn't work at all. That is all. The one I'm making is, you know, the one that made me laugh is David Paulson's story. David Paulson said, they told him to come and see one man. The man said he wants to see a pastor. So he said, okay, please. So when he got the reverend, the man was angry. He said, I want to, he wants him to ask God why he's in hospital. Why should he be in hospital? So the man said, sir, you've never been in hospital? He said, no. I've never been in a hospital in my life. It was an admission. Ah. So the man of God said, how old are you? He said, I'm 90 years old. So the pastor got confused. For 90 years, God has kept you out of a hospital. I hope you're getting my point. Then you come to hospital once and you're sleeping over and you're angry. And David Paul is a very funny man. He looked at the man like, sir, can't you see all the fine, fine nurses taking care of you? Just enjoy it. <laughs> he said, there are so many fine women taking care of you. That's enough to, ah. he said, that's enough to thank God for. <laughs> Don't mind David Paul. Very funny old man himself. <laughs> but the point he was making is that 90 years, the man said he has never been in hospital. I mean, to sleep over. And then first time, he said to say, Father God, thank you for 90 years of perfect health. He said the pastor should ask God why he should be in hospital. The man didn't know what to say. I don't, that, that kind of question I can't ask God. Before God joins me in your disobedience, he said, David, you conspire with this old man to question me. He said, I know the answer. If I'm the one, I'll say, sir, you, you have never been in hospital. Maybe you are going to die. Yes, now. You got, you, you, I mean, the man was complaining. God had kept him for 90 years. He didn't remember that. We are laughing at that old man. You know, we are like that sometimes. Just because you've been broke for one month, God will not hear what they get. And how old are you? You are 50 years old. So God said, all the one that have been providing for you all these years, he didn't remember. Right now, people are teaching us every day in our country to be ungrateful. We are murmuring against God every day. We think we are murmuring against the federal government. We are grumbling against God every day. We think we are murmuring, grumbling against the head of state. We are, grum- we, are, we are murmuring against God every day. We think we are observing the forex market. Why should dollar be 505? You better thank God there is no 1,005. Come over down heads. You have by three minutes. Give the Lord thanks. Use your fingers. Count at least ten things. Find it by force. At least ten. Make sure one of them is negative. I mean physically. 
you lost something, you lost someone, you suffered a great disappointment. The young man that you have been engaged to for a year and a half broke your heart two months to the day of the planned wedding. Yes, add that one to it. Add one thing that, naturally speaking, is negative. Like you were kidnapped by your own brothers and sold into slavery. And your name is Joseph. Add one like that. You may not know where your own Joseph's destiny lies yet. But add one like that. Give thanks. We must never be grumblers. This life, you have to be one or the other. Make up your mind. I'm going to be a giver of thanks. I'm going to be a thanker, not a grumbler. Count, I want you to count. And with a grateful heart, not a religious heart. With a grateful heart, say, Lord, thank you for giving me life. The most important thing is the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That's the most important thing. That should be one. I've taken one from you now. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, the knowledge of God. They are not walking around in darkness, blindness, not knowing whether you are a male or a female. People are like that all over the world these days. God made them perfectly male or perfectly female, yet they don't know whether they are male or female. It's because God withdrew wisdom from them. Thank the Lord that you still have the wisdom. Simple things like that. Say, I don't have a job. Why don't you just give thanks that you can work? If you couldn't work, you wouldn't be looking for work. Let's give the Lord thanks. You have one more minute to complete the ten things. Ten things of gratitude from, with a grateful heart. With a grateful heart. Thank God for loved ones, a loved one that was sick. And has recovered. Yes, thank God for it. Thank God for the time you wanted to miss God and travel on the journey did not send you. And then he sent you back. Thank God for that. It's important. People think God only does what they think is good. No, sometimes he will do something to you. It will look bad. Well, don't worry. It's good. God is good all the time. I wanted to take another minute and reject this grumbling culture that people are teaching us every day. Global warming, they grumble about the weather. Morning, afternoon, and night. Why won't the globe warm when everybody is saying there is no God? God will light up his fire small now. Thank God that you know the truth. Why the earth remains. Seed time and harvest. Summer and winter, cold and heat will not cease. Reject that attitude of grumbling that they are teaching, that the world is teaching. A grumbler is defeated already. 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 A grumbler is a defeated individual. Defeated already. So reject that grumbling spirit. That counts what he doesn't have. Counts what she doesn't have. I'm murmuring against my employer. The person you, you are thinking about. God said you are murmuring against me. 
I send that employer to be a blessing to you. You are murmuring against me. When Israel rejected Samuel, God said to Samuel, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. Sometimes you are doing something against one person, it's actually against God. Israel murmured against Moses, but it was against God. So why don't you just reject every form of murmuring, every form of grumbling, and say my life will be a life of thanksgiving. My life will be a life of thanksgiving. My life will be a life of thanksgiving. Repent of everything you have grumbled about. And you grumbled about delay in salary. Repent. When you grumbled about not having enough money, repent. You and your wife and two kids, you are managing just one self-contained room. So you can't really take guests. Your mother can't come and you've been grumbling every day. Repent. You have a roof over your head. Ah, it's just that it's one bedroom. Because you have two rooms, a sitting room and a bedroom. And I'm, I'm still hearing complaining from you. Habba. Repent. Say, Lord, I won't complain again. Say, Lord, in fact, I'm not looking for another house. I want to stay there for the next few months with Thanksgiving every day. We will do Thanksgiving every morning to thank you for the house. It's small, yes. But we'll, we'll, be, we'll be grateful. We'll stay there with gratitude. Give him thanks. Now, another thought just dropped in my mind. Can you just quickly pray for another minute about something you have been grumbling about? Commit it unto the Lord. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. And if you are sick anywhere, put a hand over that place and cast the pain upon the Lord. If you are following us from anywhere, especially if you are in your house, it's a good time. You can easily put your hand on a part of your body. You have some privacy there. Put your hand there. And say, Lord, now I'm not saying, you're not praying for healing now. Say, Lord, I'm a, it will heal you. But I want you to pray in this particular way. Say, Lord, I cast my burden upon you. I cast, that is, is the grumbling we are getting out of. Is the murmuring. I'm not being able to sleep. This pain will not let me sleep. Yeah. No, say, Lord, I thank you for sleep. I thank you for life. I lay my hands upon that foot. Lord, I cast the pain upon you. For you care for me. He said, cast your burden upon the Lord. The car is being the cause for grumbling. Cast it upon the Lord. Seriously, somebody listening to this, pack it, remove the battery, remove the tires, jack it up. Say, this car, you will not make me whine anymore. Maybe it's because I keep on managing you. Okay, I'm not managing again. I'm going by bus. Cast that burden upon the Lord. It's important. Cast your children upon the Lord. Cast all your burdens upon the Lord, for He cares. Take away murmuring, pain out of your heart. Yes, I want us to do that this evening. Take away murmuring. Can we take a minute now and thank God for our nation? Almost all of us here, I'm aware of everybody here is a Nigerian here physically. Whatever you are joining us from, just thank God for your nation. Restructuring or no restructuring. Whatever be the problem that you think the country has. Banditry or no banditry. Esmen crisis or no, no esmen crisis. Just thank the Lord. Take a minute. Say, Lord, I thank you for this nation.
I thank you because you are the one that draws boundaries. Thank you because the nations of this earth, they are your possession. Thank you for this one I am in. Give the Lord thanks. Thank you for those you have put in authority. Give the Lord thanks. Say, Lord, I thank you. With a grateful heart, oh, with a grateful heart. Oh. No, you are not just a religious heart. With a grateful heart, say, Lord, I thank you for the people you are putting in authority. For kings, for princes, for those who are in authority. Just give the Lord thanks. Let's give the Lord thanks with a grateful heart. It's important. Hallelujah. 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 I said hallelujah. Father, we give you praise. Because you are good. Indeed, you are good. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Or rather, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. I think we needed that. All right, let me just, um, for the time we have left, let's do a bit of teaching. And continue. Oh, I've been talking about intercession by faith. Intercession is an important form of prayer also, of course. I went to all of that trying to emphasize to us that prayer must be our habit. And thanksgiving is the most important form of prayer. And indeed, it is. Um, but what I'm looking at is how to continue to intercede by faith. Uh, last time I explained about, well, last two meetings, we talked about the weapon of the weapons of the intercessor. Basically, we're focusing on the prophetic word. That God gives a word, we have a duty to lift that word into the air. Maybe, let me just put a few things together. God helping us, we may come back to it again next time. We have a duty to put that into the air. Prophecies are not predictions. What did I say? They are not. Prophecies are different. Now, what I want to emphasize about the character of prophecy is the role that the prophet has to play in the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, when I say prophet now, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about each one of us as believers. I'm not talking about a special calling for some people. I'm talking about all of us as believers. And you will see that scripture. It says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. He was talking about the people of God that he called. If you read that context, he was talking about Abraham. He was talking about Isaac. He was talking about Jacob. He was talking about the sons of Jacob. They are the ones that he called my prophets. So it's not as if they get up and gather a congregation and say, as now we beat, uh, no, what's the other guy say that day? That England will beat Italy. That that is the job of a prophet. That he saw it. That's not, the, that's not what makes you a prophet. The job of a prophet is not predicting the future. I hope you're getting my point. The job of the prophet actually is the expression of the mind of God. Do you get my point? The expression of the will of God. That's the duty of the prophet. Now, talking about where prophecy is different from predictions. So these prophets, they have an assignment so that when God gives them a word of prophecy, that word is a word of, um, is a weapon of activity, is a weapon of war. I hope you're getting my point. 
That is, God gives a, 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 for example, now if I tell you, like, go to Jeremiah. Now, it didn't say, thus will Babylon go down, I will not rise again, alone. He said, go and read these words over Babylon, and then see. I don't know whether you're getting my point. I, I like that portion. It's just, let's just read it towards the end of the book of Jeremiah. Just to give an idea of what I'm doing. Just to remind us of something, then uh, we close. Jeremiah chapter, when it says, so, Thus will Babylon go down and will not rise again. You see, it's, it's one of the, uh, what's the name of that fellow? Sariah. Jeremiah chapter 51. Um, let's just read from verse 50. Okay, let's read from verse 59. Okay, from, from verse 60. So Jeremiah wrote in a single scroll all the calamity which will come upon Babylon. That is all these words which have been written concerning Babylon. Then Jeremiah said to Sariah, As soon as you come to Babylon, then see that you read all these words aloud. Now please follow that. See that you read all these words aloud. And say, you, O Lord. Can you see? The prophecy is becoming a prayer. You, O Lord, have promised concerning the place to cut it off. So that there will be nothing dwelling in it, whether man or beast. But it will be a perpetual desolation. Verse 63, as soon as you finish reading this scroll. So he was going to read the whole scroll over the place. As soon as you finish reading this whole scroll and you pray that prayer, you will tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates and say, just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise again because of the calamity that I'm going to bring upon her and they will become exhausted. Thus far he says are the words of Jeremiah. Are you following that? God gave Jeremiah words. They were not just literature words. They were not predictions. They were prophetic words. That's one thing I want to understand about prophecy. Prophecy has to be activated, but not the human way. I hope you're getting my point. It's a spiritual activation. In this particular context, you can see the activation here. It's a spiritual activation. It told Sarah, go to Babylon and read the words aloud. And that's why I keep on bringing these verses for us once in a while. Sit over, sometimes, maybe, go to a skyscraper and read over the land. I hope you're getting my point. Park somewhere on the express road. There's one portion of the, that's our road going to OP, where you can see a lot of land, horizon. You can stand in that kind of place and read words aloud. You can go to Abuja just for the sake of reading words aloud over the federal capital territory. You take a flight, as they are telling you, um, the palace is about to start our descent into Abuja. Bring out your scroll. When they begin to say, cabin crew, prepare for landing. Then you start, because now you know you're over the city. You will shorten the thing to by one page and read these words out loud. And say, no corrupt lawmaker will survive in this city. I hope you get my point. Like we read last time. Woe to him that causes good evil and causes evil good. Woe to him that makes unjust laws. I hope you get my point. 
It's not just predictions. No, prophecies are not predictions. They are weapons. So you see, God had determined to bring down Babylon. So he said, Jeremiah, let's walk together. He first revealed to Jeremiah. And now to Jeremiah, now you will prophesy. So Jeremiah wrote the prophecies down and told Sarah, let me give you a job. Go there. Read the words aloud over the city. Then finish the prophetic word. Of course, read it aloud. Then pray this prayer. You, O Lord, have promised concerning this place to cut it off so that there will be nothing dwelling in it, whether man or beast, but it will be a perpetual desolation. So when you finish reading like that, tight, throw it into the middle of the Euphrates and say, just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise again because of the calamity that I'm going to bring upon her and they will become exhausted. That was, look, God doesn't play. That was necessary for the activation of that word. Prophetic words are like living. They are living. I hope I get my point. Like that, a negative word, a word of judgment, can be deactivated. How do you deactivate it? You go to, uh, what name of that city? Jonah City. Nineveh. You go to the people of Nineveh and learn it. They deactivated the prophetic word. How did they deactivate it? They repented of doing evil. They went into prayer and fasting. And of course, one is prayer. is Lord, have mercy upon us. And the prophetic word was deactivated. So all these words of prophecy that God gave, all this, if you read the latter part of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they cause people to die. There are times I see the curses, one after the other. Sometimes I wonder, like, Lord, why? God said, don't worry, it's not a big deal. All those people could have deactivated all the curses. How? It's simple. Run into Christ. Run into the place of forgiveness. Run into Christ Jesus. That deactivates the curses in your life. Then you speak against the curses. That's why, you know, people have said it before. You know, when they want to argue that God does not do anything bad, they will say that, uh, was God fighting himself if Jesus was healing people? That means God was fighting himself. No. Jesus was deactivating curses. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Curses that the Lord had pronounced. The people went to John in repentance. And the curses were deactivated because of their repentance. And Jesus came to effect that deactivation. Because of their repentance, their oppression became, uh, their diseases became oppression of the devil. Because once they had been, once the, once the curses were deactivated through repentance in the baptism of John, you didn't have power anymore to hold them down. So that's why I said he went around doing good and he, he was specified. It was specific and healing who? All who were oppressed. There were some people who were sick and in trouble. It was not oppression. It was a just recompense of reward for disobedience. They did not get anything. He healed only those who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because they had deactivated the curses in their lives. When I saw some of those powerful curses that Jeremiah and <laughs> Ezekiel were reading, I said, what? God said, don't worry. If Jesus comes and they enter into Christ, the curses are deactivated. I hope you're getting my point here. I'm talking about prophecies. Prophetic words have to be activated also. 
So Israel said, and please let me say this, because I'm watching my time. I don't want to stay too long. When we're talking about the, the work of um, the intercession by faith, I said something last time. We must learn to want what God wants. You know, are you getting my point? Yes. You, it's important. It's important. It's important. There are times, you know, now this area is a bit difficult for me to understand what I'm about to say, okay? God is a God of mercy, amen? If you believe God is a God of mercy, say amen. Amen. If you believe He forgives sin, say amen. Amen. Now I'm asking another question. God is a God of judgment, amen? Amen. If you believe He judges sin, give me an amen. Amen. If you believe that if a sinner will not repent, God will punish him. Give me an amen. Amen. Okay. Me and you don't have problems then. Because there are times God will say, listen, I need to destroy some things. I need to break down some things. I need to uproot iniquity. But you people don't activate the prophetic words that break down iniquity. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You just carry only the mercy words alone. Don't fight people, individuals. That's not allowed. Don't say this person is my enemy. I hope I get my point. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Do good to them. That's a different thing. But there's one, there's a group of people that God never said you should love. You know who they are? Enemies of God. Love who? Your enemies. Enemies of God. God doesn't want you to love them. No. You know why? He hates them. Say, so, hey, Pastor, thank you very much. These witches. No, 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 no. This is another one I'm talking about. You, are con- you and your witchcraft, you're all confused people. So I'm not. <laughs> Don't join me into your, your church of fire. That's not my own issue. Who are the enemies of God? Now, first of all, let me give you to you. you. Don't identify anybody. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. So don't think the head of state is not an enemy of God. So leave that in. It's an instrument of God. Amen? Let's leave that in. Who are the enemies of God? They are the enemies of righteousness. They are the enemies of Christ Jesus. They are the enemies who have sworn. Now, you know the truth? You don't know. You can't actually personally identify them. But the enemies of God must be judged by activation of prophetic words. They are those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Whom God has warned again and again, but they will not turn around. Who are them? I don't know them. How do you handle them? I'm just saying that God wants us. We need to see. We keep on saying this iniquity must leave the land. How? God said you must activate the words that destroy iniquity. Not by pointing fingers, no. Just take a particular scripture and just read it out into the air. And you say over the land, thus will iniquity and doers of iniquity and those who will not repent be uprooted from this land in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let each person now locate himself. I'll be getting my point. Each individual locate yourself. If you decide that no, the gospel will not, will not prosper under my watch. I'm sorry, we didn't call your name. If you are going to survive, better make sure you have intercessors who know you personally, who are praying for you, so that God can show up in your dream and say, oh boy, you have taken a path of danger. 
I hope you are getting my point. No, that's what he does. He will have to show up one way or the other and say, listen, if God has said this path leads to death, if he utters that word, that path always leads to death. If he wants to deliver anybody, no matter how much he wants to deliver the person, if the person enters that path, the person will, go, will die. So what he will do is to start blocking the person's path. I hope you are getting my point. That's what he will do. He will start blocking your path. Let us assume you are my friend. You've taken that path and I'm praying for you. Oh, Lord, don't let John Bull die. Don't let John Bull die. God will say, John Bull has entered the path of death. So what he will do, he will go and get his donkey to see things on the road. You know Balaam now? Yes. You know Balaam was a very foolish man. You know why I said he was foolish? He still finished that journey. There was no chance he would survive. Let me explain something to you. Balaam was going to die. There was no chance in a million he would survive. Once he determined and finished that journey, even though he got there and prophesied the word of God, he was going to die. What God could do for him was to open the eye of the donkey. The donkey saw. The angel said, I was going to kill you. I don't want to start talking about Balaam. Because Balaam, if you don't understand spiritual things enough, he's going to confuse you. God said, go. Then the angel of God said, if you come, I will kill you. See, but God said I should go. There's a lot of confusion there. But I don't want to go into it now. What I just want to bring out is that the only way God could save Balaam's life was to block the journey. But the man's heart was set on going one way or the other. He got there, prophesied the word of God, but still sinned against God. Why? He made himself the enemy of God. You see, once God has revealed his will to you, once he has revealed his will to you, discipline yourself to conform to that will. God has said to him, these people are blessed. They cannot be cursed. He said, Kai, even blessed people, there must be a way around. So he called them Balak. He said, entice them to sin against God. See, what he did works. That's how 23,000 people died because they joined themselves to the Baal of Peor. All right? That's, that worked. Except that the heart of Balaam was set against God. God said, they are my people. I have blessed them. You are in helping their enemy to overcome them. God said, there's a word I use against you. Anyone that curses these people, I will curse. So that was, how, that was what led to the death of Balaam. If he wanted to survive, he should have turned back on that journey. Say, hey, I tried God before. He, he do me. They go now. You know this? They go now. Hey, go now. That's what God told him the second time. You know they call go now. Somebody's not supposed to go. Keeps on harassing you that let me go. Apostle, you tell your wife not to go. She still wants to go. So you stand there and say, my husband, now let me go now. <laughs> After some time, go now. Say, but you said I could go. He said, we are not serious. Didn't you hear me say go now? <laughs> All the wives in the house, they are feeling guilty. Look at their faces. The Lord is good. The point I'm making, all right, is that when people make themselves the enemy of God, they have to go. The Lord will uproot them. And he wants his people to want them to be uprooted. I hope you're getting my point. Do you know when Jehoshaphat came back from, let's read that story. When Jehoshaphat came back from, um, what was that gist again, remember? From the battle at um, Ramos Gilead, yes. You know what the prophet said to him? Yeah, Second Chronicles chapter 19. Okay, you know the story? They went to battle with Ahab 
Ahab who hated God, the husband of Jezebel. Remember Ahab? Then Jehoshaphat the king, God delivered Jehoshaphat. I remember that story. They almost killed him in the battle. But Ahab died, but he survived. Even though Ahab tried to hide, but God still delivered Ahab to death. Then verse 1 of chapter 19, Then Jehoshaphat the king of Judah returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. Jehu the son of Hanani the seer went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, and so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? He said, But there is some good in you, for you have removed the Asherah from the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and went out again among the people of Beersheba, uh, among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. What I want to bring out is the rebuke that God gave him. Jehoshaphat was not supposed to make friends with Ahab. Their family relationship was not supposed to overcome the unrighteousness. Ahab was promoting idolatry in Israel. Jehoshaphat was a man of God, if I use that expression. He was. And so the king said, and the prophet said, what's wrong with you? You want to help those who hate God. And he almost died for it. Just by the way, some people said, and I believe, that was why, what's the name of this our bros? Jonathan. That's why Jonathan died. You know Jonathan? David's friend. Why did he die? It was clear David was the king that God had anointed. He knew the story. He knew the thing had left his father's house. He was riding with his father. He was not riding with David. I know it's difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult. There was one, man, one young man of God, very young, but very anointed man of God, that died some years ago that I knew a bit, not much personally. When I heard the story about him later, I just said, my God, an old prophet just killed a small prophet. The young prophet was supposed to have detached himself from the old prophet, but he did not. He kept on following the old prophet about. And then one day, he died. Interestingly enough, the Lord took the whole family of the old prophet and joined him with it. Be careful. Tell your neighbor, be careful, Please, I wanted to say something. Yes, I need to say this. Father God, thank you. Many of you, good enough, I'm not building church, I'm not looking for members. You know me, the way I do ministry. All I do is teach this word. And then, what else do we do about apostle? Do we do any other thing? We just teach the word, we go around broadcast. We do a lot of broadcasting, quite all right. We do a lot of broadcasting, okay? We do a lot of broadcasting. I'm not looking for members, so, all right? But listen to what I want to say. The time has come. Many of you have to leave the churches you go to. I'm very serious about it. You are held responsible for what you tolerate. I'm not going to say much more than that. I just remembered it now. I, well, I, I believe it. But it's something I've been meaning to tell some people. You have to stop. Not everybody. I'm not saying, hey, everybody, leave your church. That is so. Please, so. not everybody I know some people will not like it. They will say, I'm scattering churches. Paul said it has to happen. Jesus said there will be a separation of sheep and goats. But I've realized many people are drinking the wrong spirit every day. And they, kept, they keep tolerating it. 
They will hear the truth. Now, this is a horrible one. When you know that you are really in trouble. When you know the truth, you know the truth. The only reason why you are staying is what will people say? There are other reasons people do things. There are those that maybe God has given you the assignment to go and change people, to go and influence an environment. Yes, it happens. But I just want to, and like I said, what I said will not be, it's not most people that will be involved. But I've realized that a lot of young prophets are going to die for the sin of old prophets. And they have a short time to deliver themselves. So if this applies to you, you will know. You will know, you will know. I'm not saying, hey, you know, they are natural troublemakers. They will now quote me to continue their trouble. Well, God forgive you. That's what I'm going to say to you. May the Lord forgive you. Don't worry, I'm not, I've been, my name has been called on all kinds of things. So don't worry, I don't feel anything about it if you use my name anyhow. I'm just feeling sorry for you that your troublemaking will still catch up with you one day. So don't use me to be causing trouble. If you want to go, just move away smoothly. Don't gather disciples to yourself. Let each individual make up their minds. I hope you're getting my point. The people that are most affected by this thing I've said are the pastors, the associate pastors. Are you getting my point? The branch pastors, associate pastors, and all of that. They are the ones that are most affected by what I have just said. Be careful, though. Because when a man has made up his mind that he will not follow the Lord, and the Lord has warned again and again and again, and the person will not change, all right? You have to move yourself away from the tent of Korah, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You have to move away from their tents before you sink into the earth with them. Whether you were innocent or not, if you did not move away from the people's tents, you went down. Their children could have saved their lives by just getting away from their father's tent. God would have left them. I hope you're getting my point. Because sometimes I've seen pastors, young pastors, when they are behind, they will grumble morning, afternoon, and night about what old prophet is doing. I hope I remember. It is grump, that is, they will be changing their messages because of the old prophet. Then they will come and complain to you that old prophet will not let us preach the truth. Then they go next Sunday, God say, see, I'm counting. I've been counting it. You have three more Sundays to do that nonsense. After the third Sunday, if you are still doing that nonsense, I will just, I will just, I will just close the door against you. Then you stop feeling anything. I will close the door. You won't feel anything anymore. The Holy Spirit will not strive with you. Then you get comfortable being manipulated by, by, by the old prophet. Too bad. You are going down with Korah. What I've said is very important. Why, why, why did I get into that? I was going to say, okay, those who hate the Lord. You have to be careful. Those who hate truth cannot be your friend. Listen, when Paul wanted to separate believers, he said if the person is a non-believer, you can eat with him. Like now, let me give you an example. You are in the office. You have a neighbor. He's not, a, he's not born again in the same office. If you say, but let's go and eat. He humanizes you. Know. He, he, you know he's been married for eight years. He has a girlfriend in that office. He has another one not too far away. And you are aware. You have caught him many times. I want you to tell him, say, ah, oh boy, what are you doing? He said, come on, go away. He will tell you that David had many wives. Solomon had many wives, and God was still with them. And as he's saying, he has used two bottles, so he's very, very free. 
So you should leave him. That his father, his grandfather, had six wives. He said, okay, are you bound to marry this woman? He said, no, they are concubines. There's wife, there's concubine. He'll be telling all kind of nonsense. But he's an unbeliever. He said, if he say, sit down, let us eat. You know what Paul said? Go ahead, sit and eat. Yeah, that's what Paul said. He said, if your boss in the office, you humanize this. He said, what do you concern you? That's what Paul said. He said, he's not a believer. He said, but, if he's a Christian, if he says he's a believer, and you find, you catch his text messages, a strange woman is calling him honey, miss you, see you later, tonight, at Bushba. <laughs> Call him and say, Jumbo, are you smoking something? If he does not repent, he says, if he greets you in that office, don't answer him. If today is my son's birthday, I'm sharing coke. Walk past him like you don't know him. If he says, ah, you're not talking to me, say, I'm not talking to adulterers. And if people in the office say that, ah, your, your brother, Uche, you and him, you don't talk. He say yes, because he's sinning against our rules. Say, so when he stops, I'll begin to befriend him again. And if you have mutual friends, well, like friends, go and report him. There's nothing. Go and report. If you have ought against your brother, go to him. If he doesn't hear, go and. If he doesn't hear those people also, all of you, join the pastor. Go and report him to his wife. His life is over. <laughs> the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Please, I'm giving solemn instructions this evening. Please, I'm not joking. I'm very serious about it. Those who associate with, you know, you, you go to a church, they lie against the truth regularly. You know. You have confronted them before and they've told you things like, I know what you're saying is true, but where will we get the money from? Then next thing they are bringing people who, they bring familiar spirits to your church and you sit down there. Let me tell you the truth, eh? No matter the power you claim to have, hmm? you are held responsible for what you tolerate. If I go to a church and you are the pastor of the church and you bring David Elijah as he's entering, I'm going out. As soon as I'll just call you, say, ah, man of God, what's going on? Don't you know this guy? <laughs> just smile, say, no, no, praise God. We'll talk later. As that guy was entering, I'm going outside. Ken Hagin said one day, he went to Mormon Temple. He went to look at architecture. Beautiful architecture. Then he has people gathering, hey, 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 hey. He looked what is going on. He saw his son was convulsing. His own son. A demon literally had jumped on the boy. He said the moment he realized that, he just pushed everybody, grabbed the boy. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. Come out of him. I command you, come out in Jesus' name. The boy calmed down. Told the boy, get up. Told the mother, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. Devil's territory. <laughs> now architecture in Konluko. He said he just realized what happened. One man said he went to, he went to, was a missionary somewhere, I think, in, in Asia. So they were doing masquerade. You know, this is our masquerade. Eh, ah, so he, you know, you woman, you woman getting on crazy. <laughs> they were doing masquerade. Now he go carry, carry camera, begin take picture of masquerade. He went to join those who are doing masquerade to be taking photo. Oh, lovely, lovely. Then suddenly the chief masquerader took a spear, a knife, and headed for him. Bam! Somebody just dragged him out of the way. He was in the midst of a multitude. 
He wasn't doing anything strange. The spirit just possessed that man and headed for him. You know, straight with a spear in his hand and wanted to thrust him through. Then somebody, looking back now, we know it must have been an angel. An angel just pulled him away. The spear missed him. And he got the point. The Lord said, they are doing juju worship. You are here to photograph. You smoke something. They are worshipping idols. You are here to admire. That is why there are people who will enter a church. I'm sitting down there. I know some of them. As soon as they go in, I pick my bag. Call my wife. My kids are there inside that building. Say, please get the kids. Get out. This guy wants to start sharing evil spirits. I'm not taking any one of it. Because if you sit down, they open your heart. They will donate demons to you. Next time you go out, apostle. You know what, you know what I find what demons do? Next time you go out. I tell you, they lick mouth. When women, they shake bum bum pass in front of you. You won't know what's wrong with you. See, but I'm a man of God now. Say, where were you last Sunday? Those people are adulterers. Oh, I have found out. No, no, no. I have my reasons. I don't have time. First, our book will be out anytime from now. Worship and sex control. Alright? It's in the final stages. They're about to start praying. You read this thing inside. But I wrote it inside. Some of, but then some things I have observed. As he heard some stories recently, I said, Mammon and the spirit of adultery. They're friends. Tight friends. Tight friends. Tight friends. Seven spirits more wicked. That one, I'm telling you. That's why there are, there, are, there are kinds of people that want to start ministry. I'm going. I'm not sitting down. Minister away. Once you, once you enter the place, I carry my bag. Tell my wife, come, let's go home. Say what? I said, that guy saves evil spirits. I'm not sitting down here. If it's a place where I have authority, I will bind his demons. He, will, he He's the one that will run. Where is the place I don't have? I'm going. I'm getting out. Nonsense. Even if I have authority, say, what, why should I be wasting it anyhow? Use authority for more serious things. People want demons. Romance with them. Me, I'm going. I just want to drop that word for people. Please, get out. Get out. It's time to get out of certain places. There can't be seven evil spirits over your head every Sunday, every Wednesday. You sit down there, you'll be collecting more. Ah, uh-uh. Are you a gluten for punishment? I need to drop that word, you know? What was the thing I was saying? Let's get back to my message. Yes. That's an aside. It's an instruction for certain people. Please pay attention to those instructions. For some of you pastors, you don't have a lot of time. Ministry is not civil service. Ministry is not civil service. You are looking for a transfer to another ministry. Forget it. Nobody is transferring you. You are just going to die where you are. Ministry is not civil service. That structure is not ministry. The other day, they said, Bishop, we didn't sack the 40 pastors. They are complaining. I said, how many? It's 40, eh? I said, why are you complaining? If you are called, I, I, somebody will sack you. Okay, kingdom will sack you now. What do you do? You have one pulpit now. If I have one or that one, that, I have one in my house. Means never start. Unless you are not called. I'm looking for structure. You want to use another man's name to rise. You know, if you come here now, you come to Enugu, say, God sent you. You go. It's a record that it takes four times as long for a ministry on the average to grow to a particular level if it's started by somebody who's not sent by a well-known name. As when this person started by, like, let me give an example now. I'm anointed. Are you getting my point? I come to Enugu to start a church and I'm, I'm sent by winners or redeem or dunamis. Even I start from the scratch. Or I come on my own with all my anointing. On the average, it's been shown. If it takes me one year to grow to a hundred members, okay, if I came with somebody's name, 
It would take me four years to go to 100 members if I came on my own. That's what has been observed naturally. That is why many people are looking for a way to hide. That's why many people are looking for a way to hide. Now that they will be sacking them anyhow. I won't they sack you. Yeah, like, like Bishop said, you are not productive or fruitful. Or fruitful. <laughs> it is true. Please, ministry is not civil service. Don't be afraid to leave if they are beginning to pour evil spirits into your heart. And he said, Pastor how will I know? First, you that I'm speaking to, you know. But let me just give you a small you know, guide for some other people. And that is that what your messages have been changing. You are beginning to preach things you don't believe, so you can rise. You are beginning to say things you know are not true. You are preaching, you know, David Paulson said he left, which church was it now? There was one, eh? The, there was one of the Methodists, I think. Yeah. Anyway, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, a minister in one of these big denominations. He said, I realized I could not continue baptizing infants. So I couldn't continue baptizing infants. So he, he, they didn't quarrel. So he left. And he became the person that we are talking about. I'm sure if he had stayed there, you and I would never have heard of him. You and I would never have heard of him. Please, I believe I, I brought a word from God for some ministers who are listening, and I suspect that they may, most of them are not going to even be here. You, you don't have a lot of time. Once old prophets make you change the word of God, you die. They survive. Some of them will live their years out. Do you know why? God had made them a promise 20 years ago. Irrevocable. You, you don't have any promise. You are there following Mugushu. No, think about it. You are just there following Mugumuguli, Mugushli. Well, there's no, no promise. He made some dangerous promises. There's a dangerous walk with God when he was younger. God gave him a word. That word is right. God is not going to change his mind. You see, a bastard prophet is 90 years old. And you follow him sheepishly. 36, you are dead. No matter how anointed a man is, if he makes you alter the truth of God, stop following him. Jerry Savier told the story of one of America's... No, I'll give you the name. Ora Roberts. Jerry Savier said he sat down. Ora Roberts told him to go and do something. He told him, I thought it was a joke. He told Ora Roberts, okay, I'm not going to do it. Now let me tell you how senior Ora Roberts was to him. Or a robot is like a spiritual father to Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland is a spiritual father to Jerry Savelle. So you are talking to your spiritual grandfather. It's in his book. There was one he was supposed to go to the prison and go and do. He told a robot, I'm not going. He, he put his foot down and said, Oga, oh I am not going. If, either you are joking, in which case we will laugh, or you are serious, in which case I will disobey you. Or a robot now laughed. He told him flat, Oga, I can't do that one. I won't tell you exactly what it is now. Yeah, straight, I'm not doing it. What is the reason? It is wrong now. How, how can you go and do that? Sir, sir, you know it is not right. A word they say is enough for the wise. You need to be alive to build that house. Are you getting my point? If you hear money, money, this money, you're serving a God that can't even carry you to heaven. The only thing he can do for you is build you a house and buy you one or two cars. 
money. And you'll be risking your soul because of material prosperity. What is wrong with being like John the Baptist? John the Baptist was not prosperous. Rulers used to send delegations to him. What's all of this? People twisting the word of God because they want to please somebody. One day I was somewhere one day. One guy was preaching in front of me. My wife was sitting beside me. He said some things. Ah, he was saying things. I said, this guy doesn't believe what he's saying. Sorry, I wonder what is he going to make you laugh. My wife said, did you hear what that guy said? I turned to her and I said, he's an idiot. Yes, I was angry. I said, how can you be saying? I know you don't believe this things you are saying. But you want to please a man. Pastor Naya, they talk to I hope you hear what I said. Mm-hmm. The Lord is good. <laughs> Sorry, I laugh sometimes after I finish saying these things. One of the reasons why I laugh is that I was many people don't say they, they, we can't continue to let things just be the way they are. Because when judgment will come, God will carry all of us. I have to preserve my life and preserve those who hear me. That's Apostle Timothy. You have to save yourself and those who hear you. So I was saying something. You were reminding me of what I was saying before I started explaining some things. Yes. Please, let me continue next time. Let me stop here. I was trying to emphasize something. That we use prophetic words to, to remove such people from influence. We don't mention anybody's name, but we activate prophecies over their heads. When Jeremiah began to prophesy, those that hated God died. Pelatia died. Sorry, Ezekiel. Pelatia died. He didn't mention anybody's name. So there are words of judgment in the scriptures. We, we throw them out into the air. We don't just, you know, because we understand that we have to empower God to cleanse the environment. We have to speak words against those who make evil laws. Who make unjust decrees. You have to speak words against them. God, listen to what I want to say. The Lord requires the church to do that. We cannot solve the problem of iniquity through political manipulations. We can't. Like I said, 2023 is coming. How is the church preparing? Are we we involved in north-south manipulations? That is not the problem of the church. The church should not bring that matter up one time before God. Father, it is time for president to return to the south. It's a, it's a prayer of iniquity. Any prayer you, you, you pray, your brother who is a Christian, who is from Zamfara or Kano or Sokoto, cannot join you in agreement. Something is wrong. But there are prayers you can pray which will bring forth the will of God. After all, what you want, all right, is peace. Talking about the physical environment. You want freedom to preach. You want safety on the roads. Well, the prayer of thanksgiving we did along the way is what we'll be able to do today. But let's just um, let's read something again, then I'll close with that. Psalm 2. Let me just end with this. Again, I always drop something for the nation, for the church and the nation. He said in Psalm 2, verse 7, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Let me end it here. That scripture is addressed, now please, I don't have time to explain it. By that scripture, God is talking to the church. What did I say? By that scripture, we are the body of Christ. I hope you're getting my point. He said, whatever you shall bind on earth shall what? Be bound in heaven. Listen. The, who, who is the head of the body? Christ Jesus. Who is the body of the head? The church. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. So is Christ complete without his church? Have you ever seen a body with a head walking around? For God to do what he wants to do on the earth, the church must be in agreement with the head. I hope you hear that. Christ can't do things on this earth until he gets the church to be in agreement with him. So when they say, ask of me, he's not going to be the one to ask. Until we start asking. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. That's why, you know, I don't know how many people followed me that time when I was in Sokoto preaching. And in Oka also I preached that message. Okay? If you followed online. At the point in time in Sokoto, all of us got on our knees. And said, let's pray like John Knox. John Knox said what? Give me Scotland or I die. And God gave him Scotland. You know why? Jesus had asked for Scotland. The head. The body needed to ask with passion. Come into agreement with the head. And God release power. But you know what the church is saying in Nigeria? Let me not repeat nonsense. And listen. Another word. All the church leaders who are leading the body of Christ away from what Christ wants concerning Nigeria, God will retire them. Say amen. Don't say amen. It's a matter of fact. Because you see, the church needs to lead the people into what Jesus is saying to the Father. God was, Jesus was saying to the Father, give me Scotland, which is the same thing he said about England, which is the same thing he's saying about Germany. Same thing he's saying about Nigeria now. Except that what he asked the Father, except the two shall agree as touching anything they shall ask. It can't be done. How do you get what I'm trying to say here? So the Father, Jesus in heaven asked the Father for something. The church says they don't want. They are in disagreement. The Father does not grant it. The church is that powerful. I hope you're following my point. That's the last time I said many people are shouting Nigeria. Cut it, cut it. Don't open your mouth. If you open your mouth and talk, God will cut your jaw. So let's leave that in. What you need to do is go to God in prayer and say, Lord, what exactly do you want to do? What is your purpose concerning this nation? And there are simple things. The Lord may not speak to you directly, but simple things you ask. What I'm asking for, how is it going to further the cause of Christ? How will it further the advancement of the gospel? If you cannot define it, then you are asking wrongly. So then in Sokoto, all of us got on our knees. I was one leading, I was preaching that day. I said, everybody, let's ask, give us this country or we die. Just like we're taking from John Knox. If the church in Nigeria comes together in agreement, I say, Lord, give us Zanfara. Because there's a reason why God joined the country like that. So that, I mean, Enugu, I can pray and say, God, give me Zanfara. I say, why are you praying? Are you from Zanfara? I say, Lord, I'm in Nigeria. And there's a church in Nigeria. Is that not so? No, it's not you I'm asking. I'm asking the Lord. <laughs> and the Lord said, yes, it is so. He said, Lord, as a citizen, I ask for it. 
So that's the time you'd hear me lead prayer. I ask from the north to the south, from the east to the west, and every portion of land in between. Why? Because until we ask, he cannot give us the nations as our inheritance. Look, let's rise to our feet. Pray just that simple prayer. That Lord, give us this nation. If you are in the middle here, just move to the left or the right. Alright? Because of those who are streaming online. Just say, Lord, give us this nation. We're asking for it. Just say it any way you want to. For the sake of the gospel. Let's continue to pray and ask the Lord. Like he has uh, given us in Psalm 2. Let's ask for the nation. Let's pray from the depth of our hearts. Say, Lord, give us this nation. Give the church. We request for it. Say, Lord, give us the church. That is what we request for. Give us this nation. Give your church this nation. Give us this nation. The Bible says, with God, all things are possible. It's possible. Let's ask for it. It's very possible. With men, it's impossible. But with God, it's very possible. Therefore, let us ask, you know, like we've done before, let's name the states and say, Lord, we ask for Ndo state. We ask for Enugu. We ask for Sokoto. Give us this nation. Give us Anambra. Give us Kebi. Give us Baoshi. Just pray that prayer. Pray that prayer. That, Lord, we ask for every part, every inch. We ask for this nation. Give us. Give it to your church. Give it to your church. Remember, we've been taught that as we ask, because we're asking according to scripture, that is from Psalm 2, the word will go forth, the word of God thinks. He knows how to deliver into our hands. But just pray like that and say, Lord, we ask for this nation. We ask for this nation. Give the church this nation. And the Lord is willing to give to you if you, if we ask from our heart and we keep asking. Remember, we keep doing this thing. We keep asking. That's a prayer of faith. Like Pastor said last week that the prayer of faith is that we keep praying the will of God. And the will of God is that this nation, the hidden, be given to us. So pray. Pray. Take like 30 more seconds to make that request and say, Lord, we ask for Nigeria. We ask for Nigeria. No, we are not defeated. We are contending for the land and we are contending in prayer. Uh, we are contending in prayer and we are asking that every part, every inch of this nation be given to us. And it's for your glory. It's not for the glory of any man. It's not for the glory of any group. It's for the, it's for your glory, Lord. That the church be given this nation. That the church be given this nation. Oh, give the Lord thanks. Give him thanks. Thank him because you are part of what God is doing in this end time. You are an instrument in the hand of God. Can you give the Lord thanks for that? And say, Father, thank you. Uh, now you can be that instrument because your mind has changed. Your mind has changed. Your mind is renewed. That is why you are an instrument in God's hands. Oh, give the Lord thanks. Say, Father, I thank you because I'm, I am an instrument. When I pray for this nation, you hear me. I thank you. I thank you. Thank you. Lord, we give you praise. Can you thank the Lord for the word that you have heard this evening? First, we are, um, you know, spurred to give thanks. We'll give the Lord thanks that you are not a murmurer. 
thank the Lord that you give thanks constantly. That when the Lord is looking for thanks, he can come to you. Oh, give the Lord thanks for that. Now it's because of the word that you have heard. Your mind has been renewed in that direction. Now you go further to give the Lord thanks that you are an instrument in God's hand in Nigeria. Men are few. Men are few. Thank the Lord that you are among the few men that the Lord needs in this land. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that you are on his side. You are on his side. There's pressure to go on the other side. There are statistics to go on the other side. But the Lord in his mercy and by his grace has kept us on his side. So let's give the Lord thanks and say, Father, we thank you. We give you praise. Thank you once again for your word that you have sent to us this evening. Lord, we are grateful. Thank you for your servant. Thank you for Pastor Banky. Thank you for boldness to declare your word. We give you praise. Blessed be God forever. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.